attention, please. This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive 3 until 6 p.m. weekdays on the Sports Hub. I love it. It's brilliant. Come on. This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Last night was Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. One of the voices for the NHL on NBC, who doubles as the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, John Forsland, will join us in 15 minutes to talk pucks. But over the extended Memorial Day weekend, we lost three legends in sports. And it started Saturday night, with the news of Auburn Radio play-by-play man Rod Bramblett and his wife Paula passing away in a car accident. Tragically, he was the voice of the Tigers for 15 or 16 years, and people who follow sports radio, follow play-by-play, know Rod to be one of the best play-by-play announcers in all of college sports. He's the author of of what I would describe to be the best college football radio call of all time. Yes, this might be recency bias, but it's all about having a play you would put up against any other play as being simply amazing and significant, being one of the top college football moments, and having a broadcaster who's prepared for the unlikelihood and is able to get to a point where he captures That amazing moment. The moment I'm describing is the kick six in 2013. Here was Rod Bramblett, the voice of the Auburn Tigers who passed away this weekend. Here was his amazing call of that even more amazing moment. Chris Davis is going to drop back into the end zone in single safety. Well, I guess if this thing comes up short, he can field it and run it out. All right, here we go. 56-yarder, it's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl in the most unbelievable fashion you will ever see. I cannot believe it. 34-28. It puts a smile on my face every time I hear it. The call was almost as great as the play itself. All of that. Man, it's so hard to do what he did there. To be prepared for all of it, he even acknowledged the fact that there could be a run back before the play happened. And on top of all of it, I put that up against any other play-by-play call. Any other one. Rod Bramblett's call of the kick six in 2013. You can tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad 336-777-1600. So that was late Saturday night. Then I learned Sunday afternoon that the great Bart Starr had passed away. Bart Starr, he has to be 
one of the most underappreciated players among the greats in that sport. It's rare that quarterbacks are underappreciated. But with Bart Starr, he's never thrown into that category of Montana, Unitas, Brady, Manning, Marino, Elway. He, he's never put into that mix, and I always wondered why. He, he was before my time, but as someone who loved history and going back to the NFL and AFL days, Bart Starr winning three consecutive championships, the last two being the first two Super Bowls, Super Bowls one and two, beating the Raiders, beating the Chiefs. But just looking at his background, he was the 200th pick in the draft back in the 60s or late 50s. I forget what year it was coming out of Alabama, fittingly. That was the 17th round. He was picked in the 17th round. Tom Brady was picked 199. Bart Starr was picked 200th. And the reason he never really got the credit was because of how great that team was and how great that coach was. Ray Nitschke and that Packers defense and running the sweep with Paul Horning and Jim Taylor in the backfield. Legendary teams. Jerry Kramer inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame last year. Every time I think of Bart Starr, I think about the ice ball. We were talking about Muhammad Ali in recent weeks, and he's one of my favorite sports subjects you will find. He's one of my favorite subjects that I just can't seem to read enough about, that I just can't seem to watch enough documentaries with him being the center of it. The The ice ball is another one of those subjects I just love reading about. And I've got a number of interesting facts here from the ice ball that especially if you're a, a younger listener who may know what the ice ball is or might not know what it is altogether, certainly something to appreciate. Bart Starr playing in this game and scoring the game-winning touchdown of one of the NFL's most iconic games ever. 1967, a little over 50 years ago that the Cowboys played the Packers. It was 15 degrees below that average 4-0. Fine, but for them about to present to you, this was the coldest game of all time. It just was. The halftime show was a marching band, and it was canceled because the instruments were too cold to be played. They do the halftime show, which was a marching band because it was too cold. The first play of the game. This might be the craziest fact about this game you will find. The first play, the referee blew his whistle, but it was a metal whistle. And that's important to note because the whistle stuck to the referee's lip. And then when he ripped it away, skin on his lip went along with the whistle. It tore a piece of the guy's lip off. So for the rest of the ice ball, which was a conference championship game, voice and hand commands were used to officiate the game. Could you imagine that in 2019? Hand calls, hand commands, and voice signals. Hey, stop being the way referees stopped play. That's what happened in the ice ball. Here's a reason why Vince Lombardi is one of the best coaches of all time. Here's one of the reasons why Vince Lombardi has the championship trophy named after him. 
he noticed Dallas's best player, wide receiver Bob Hayes, the great Bob Hayes. He noticed he was tipping off plays. Now, he wasn't doing it intentionally. He just so happened to notice every single time Bob Hayes went out in a pattern with his hands in his pocket, Dallas ran the football. Every time his hands weren't in the pocket, they threw. That's great coaching on the fly. Keeping an eye on Bob Hayes to figure out what the play calling was. There were rumors that multiple people died in the stands. That's not true. It's myth. An elderly man passed. He was the only person to die as a result of this game. Multiple fans suffered frostbite, uh, severe frostbite, though, and fainting, including 11 members of the marching band that wasn't able to perform at halftime. Yes, Dad. <laughs> Me and intern Nick are just chuckling how you just kind of nonchalantly threw that. Yeah. That's a myth. It wasn't a bunch of people that died. It was just guy. one guy. He died, but, you know. That's 15 <laughs> degrees below zero. <laughs> Averaging 48 degrees below uh, zero with the wind chill. NFL Films had 18 cameras to document this game. Only five were working by the end of the game. And the winning play for Bart Starr, who passed away, was 31 wedge. Now, 31 wedge wasn't a quarterback sneak. 31 wedge was supposed to be a fullback dive. But... Bart Starr went to the sideline and told Vince Lombardi, I, ah, I don't feel good about the footing. I don't feel good about the footing. I'm just going to sneak behind Jerry Kramer here. If he doesn't get in, there's not going to be enough time for them to run another play. So it was ballsy, but Jerry Kramer had the block. And Jerry Kramer's in the Hall of Fame. He was inducted last year, and Bart Starr got in. And Bart Starr passed away at, uh, I, I forget how old uh, Bart Starr was. 80, I think it was 85. 85. And Bill Buckner... He passed away at 69 yesterday. And I was disappointed to see that it's the first line of the man's obituary, the error that he had in 1986. It, it's a real shame. I want to talk to John Forsland about this because he's a big Red Sox fan in addition to doing a great job calling hockey. He's the North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year. will be in Winston-Salem at this time next month. But he should not be defined by one play. He didn't even cost them that game. Many people forget that it was the Red Sox leading. They were a pitch away from winning the World Series, but then it was a wild pitch that allowed for a runner to score from third base, and the game was tied at that point, not because of Bill Buckner. So then the ball goes to his legs, and the winning runs allowed to score. He, he's the scapegoat, and that wasn't even game seven. It was game six. I was going to say, that's so what I mean two nights seven, later, yeah. two nights later, they still had another opportunity, but he was scapegoated, and it overlooks the fact that he had a tremendous career that lasted 22 years. Bill Buckner, a sports legend, gone at 69 years old. In addition to the Stanley Cup beginning last night, Bruins leading the series one game to nothing. What's the most important thing the Hurricanes need to do this offseason? We'll discuss those things with John Forslund, the voice of the Canes, next. This is the Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Serious talk. Talk, talk, talk. And I like it. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. We were talking about Bill Buckner, who passed away at 69 yesterday. And this might be my favorite Bill Buckner stat of all. In his entire career, which lasted 22 Major League seasons, he never struck out 40 times. Entering today in Major League Baseball, 
There are 112 players who have already struck out more than 40 times, and we're still in the month of May. John Forslund will be in the triad next month as the NSMA North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year. You know him as the voice of the Carolina Hurricanes for Fox Sports Carolinas and also one of the NHL on NBC's leading voices too. Johnny, the Bruins are up one game to nothing on the St. Louis Blues. How are things going on this Tuesday afternoon? Oh, hot, but everything's great, Josh. How are you? I'm, I'm great, but I was just thinking about Bill Buckner, and it really bummed me out last night mm-hmm. to read a headline from the Associated Press, and literally in the first line, they're talking about the 1986 era where the ball goes through his legs. Now, you're a big baseball fan. You're a big Red Sox fan. How do you feel about that play literally being in the first line of Bill Buckner's obituary? Yeah, I think it's really unfortunate, um, and I felt that way for a long time. I, I even felt that way, you know, in the, maybe not in the moment of when it happened, but certainly the next day, I can tell you that, certainly when they had a chance to win in Game 7. And, and beyond that, I think he paid a price that was uh, ridiculous. And, and, you know, they tried to make, make it good years later, and I think uh, there was a little bit of that for him, but to... To be taken uh, um, to, from us at the age of 69 is is a shame, and then to look back at his his legacy, he's one of the greatest ball players that, that played the game, and I think that should be front and center, not just at that moment in time. But that's kind of what we live with in sports, and uh, that's that's the dark side of it. That's that's unfortunate. Looking at the hockey, how much of a missed opportunity was last night for the Blues? It reminded me of game one of the conference final, uh, where the Hurricanes were in position after two periods to win the game. And had the Hurricanes be- defeated Boston in game one of that series, you know, where does it go? <clears throat> does it become a different series? Does Tuka Rask actually get to a level where, you know, he was unbeatable? Do the Bruins play as well as they did in game two, um, when they realized they survived game one at home? So I think in the first period, the way St. Louis was playing, it reminded me a little bit of that. But then to see Boston turn the tables, find their legs, shake off their rust, and and force the game in a lot of areas that are going to give St. Louis some trouble unless they make adjustments, uh, that was very impressive. So I'm not surprised. I think it's going to be a long series. I think Boston will win. Um, but certainly they, they were able to flex their muscles in the last 40 minutes. When we were talking before the Eastern Conference Finals, John, I think it was you who pointed to just the makeup of this Bruins team looking like championship material. What What is it about this Bruins team that gives off title team? Well, any championship team, you look at the stars first. And so you would look at this team and you would look at Petrice Bergeron, for my money, the most complete player in the National Hockey League. So. He's not going to win the MVP, but he's going to win the Defensive Forward Award, which he's won four times. He's going to be a, a top-end scorer. There's no doubt he's going to be tough to beat in the face-off circle. You've got Marchand, uh, you know, with his, uh, you know, his antics, which sometimes get the headlines, but Brad Marchand is a prolific scorer. He's great short-handed. He's a clutch player. He's more overtime goals than anybody in the game in the last 10 years. A hundred point guy in the regular season, Pasternak with 38 goals, Char on defense is a former Norris Trophy winner, and then Tuka Rask, who can be an elite goalie. But when you get beyond that, you get to the bottom half of their forward group, which is elite. 
Their third and fourth lines were difference makers in the conference final. I think they will be in this round. And their defense is really underrated in terms of playing today's game and, and how well they move the puck. And that was evident last night. It was evident against the Hurricanes where uh, Carolina could never get to their fourth check in the conference final. And the Blues, aside from a few moments in the first period, were were zeros in that regard. There was no way they could get to the escapability of guys like Tory Krug and Brandon Carlo and Matt Grizzlick and, and Connor Clifton, who scored last night. These are players who can skate, who can turn, who can move the puck north, and that's what makes the Bruins tick, and that's going to be something St. Louis is going to have to adjust to. And if they cannot cut that off, as the Hurricanes could never get an answer uh, for that aspect of the game, then they're going to have a tough time. The voice of the Canes, John Forsland, with us here in, on the Sports Hub, looking at the Hurricanes in this off season. It, it, they have most of their core locked up. That's a plus. And we're trying to figure out what the plan's going to be with goaltending. Of course, the Charlotte Checkers have a pretty decent goalie who's up and coming in his own right. And congratulations to the Checkers for advancing to the Calder Cup Finals this past weekend. What What's the biggest question you are looking at to have answered in the Hurricanes offseason this summer? Um, the questions are, are completely on the ownership and the management of the team. Because now they've had the, the postmortem, they've had the end-of-the-year press conference, they've, they've laid out a little bit, let's just take a look at the goaltending, they've laid out the fact that they want both Peter Morozik and Curtis McElhaney back. That's nice to say. <clears throat> but the next move is really up to them. And maybe a little bit on the players' representation side too. They will they will then you know let the management know exactly what they're looking for, term, salary, and so on. But then it's going to be up to the management to actually lay out the real numbers, and then we'll know exactly what we're talking about. So this is kind of a um, a period of limbo in June as you get closer to the NHL draft, which is the weekend of the twenty second. It becomes more real. And then obviously as you hit July 1, that's your free agency period. But there's a period of time before July 1 where uh, potential free agents can shop their services around the league. That's already happening. It's just that we don't know what's going on. So until we see real numbers, that's when we'll know where things are at right now. So is it realistic that Morozik returns? Is it realistic that both Morozik and McElhaney return to the Hurricanes? Or is it, or is it McElhaney? You know, but we, we, we don't know the real answers because the next move belongs, you know, the management, the ownership of the team, when they kind of lay out their budget, how far they'll go with these players. Same thing with Sebastian Ajo, who's a restricted free agent. There's not much he can do. I guess if it gets ugly, if this is protracted out throughout the course of the summer, this player could become a holdout at some point. Both sides have said they don't want to go there. But that's another option that we won't know until we get deeper into the summer. So for me, there isn't a lot to talk about right now because it's pure speculation, and you never like to deal in too much of that. You like to know the realness of what you're talking about. And until we get those numbers or we get some of the reports back in terms of what both sides are looking for in each specific case, Justin Williams would be another guy, um, then we'll actually know. So uh, it's going to be interesting to watch, and it's going to be a very intriguing summer for the Hurricanes. Because what you're describing has me thinking about something that Pierre Lebrun, I think, first reported, that the Hurricanes have far more new business for next year in terms of season ticket numbers than they did at this time last year. Obviously, success does a lot of that. But give Hurricanes fans credit. When the team won, they showed up in mass. Are you essentially saying since the Hurricanes fans did their part of the agreement here. Hey, 
we, we lived up to our end of the bargain. We showed up now that you guys are competitive. It's now on the ownership to kind of shell out what's necessary to keep them competitive. And what's fair. And then it's up to the public to decide if they're being fair or not. So I'm not suggesting that management goes hog wild and re-signs everybody to these ridiculous contracts that in a salary cap world will tie you up moving forward. Nor am I suggesting that it should be like the, uh, the Florida Marlins of the day, now Miami Marlins, where they would win a World Series and sell everybody off. I don't think that's what you need to uh, uh, put on display for your fans either. But I think somewhere in the middle is fair. And I think you have to understand that the new business is, is all well and good. But the new business, that's the part of the business that dissipates quickly if you don't follow it up with something good. So I think that's where the team will be a little bit reserved. They, they know where they can go. I don't think in this market the Hurricanes will ever be a cap team. Um, that would be kind of unrealistic to get to that level. But maybe if, if you look down the road five to ten years and all these young players stay where they're at, matriculate as they have been, reach a high level, and they roll out as championship or two, then maybe they do become a cap team someday. But for now, I would say they're still going to have to be smart with how they shell out the money and how long you tie up some of these players. For instance, Justin Williams, a team captain, will be 38 in October. In a perfect world, you want him back. Absolutely, you want him back. He scored 23 goals. He was a, a, a primetime guy in the playoffs, great leader on, off the ice, terrific person, wants to be part of the Hurricanes. But if this player is asking for a three-year deal, and first of all, he's got to decide whether or not he wants to come back and play. So that'll be his choice. But if he does, you know, how long do you tie him up for? Is a one-year deal fair? Is a two-year deal somewhere in the middle? Is the player asking too much if he wants three at the same rate? Those are the contracts that can bog you down. Those are the contracts that teams cannot get out from underneath of, and the teams that are struggling at the cap level are, are being suffocated by. That's the position you don't want to get into. So the, I, I expect the Hurricanes to be smart with all this, but to get to the initial part of your question, yes, there is a payback that the fans need to see after a season like this. It's John Forsland on Twitter at John Forsland, the voice of the Hurricanes and also the NHL on NBC. The next time we see you, John, you'll be at the NSMA in Winston-Salem as the North Carolina Sportscaster of the Year. Congratulations again on that. We're certainly looking forward to it. Thanks for doing this in the meantime, Johnny. Anytime, Josh. Stay cool and uh, keep up the great work. <laughs> Thanks so much. We'll try. That's uh, John Forsland. The Drive brought to you in part by our friends at Twin Peaks Restaurant at Twin Peaks. They have a made-from-scratch menu. Have I mentioned this? Made-from-scratch menu. Something for every single sports fan to indulge in. Maybe like the Smoker Selects. See, they have the Carolina Pulled Pork Sandwich, which I'm a fan of, but I need to try the Sweet and Smoky Ribs. I've seen that on the menu. Haven't tried it yet. Need to change that. Nothing pairs better than these things with a 29-degree draft beer. It's the best thing to pair any type of meat with. Just take it from me. Twin Peaks eats drinks. Scenic views. Up next, three stories that are trending right now that are absolutely bonkers. Keep it here on The Drive. One, two, three, here we go. Ow! This is The Sports Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. There are so many crazy stories trending right now. Just a few moments ago, I was watching a video 
from a high school superintendent in Texas who was trying to justify the fact that they had just hired in Mount Vernon, Texas, Art Bryles to be the next head coach of their high school team. And the first thing he comes out here and says, he looked like he was so proud to say this, we vetted Coach Bryles to the best of our ability. There are a bunch of TV cameras there. And the first question that's asked, okay, how did you vet him? Oh, yeah, we, we, we talked to people that were close to him and blank and blank. Did you speak to any of the victims? Well, no. Did you speak to anybody with the NCAA who investigated him? No. <laughs> exactly. But I, I talked to some guys who were friends with Art Bryles, and they said he was pretty cool, so... Let's just let's just hire the guy. So not great for this superintendent, not great for this high school hiring Art Bryles to be their head coach. But that wasn't among the stories I was prepared to talk about right now, among crazy things that have happened, crazy things that are trending right now. Definitely something that qualifies as this story that Baxter Holmes wrote for ESPN. That's all over the place talking about just how bleeped up everything is with the Los Angeles Lakers right now. Now, a lot of this is stuff we've discussed. They are the Los Angeles Knicks now. They have completely lost their way, and we knew there was strife. But specifically, this story outlined details that we did not know before about the facts where you had a front office jabbing and pointing figures at Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson going on first take, literally calling Rob Palenka a backstabber, doing so almost musically in the way that he did it. I couldn't believe what Magic Johnson was saying, and he did it the day they were introducing a new coach and Frank Vogel. So that all seemed to be planned. Then you have Rob Palenka, who is undermining everybody, including Magic Johnson, and according to Magic, going to people who are close to him and outside of basketball and outside of the Laker organization, saying that he's not in the office a lot. That's all stuff that we've discussed already. Not necessarily new information. This right here is new. Rob Palenka was on video. There's a video you can find of this happening. This isn't just Baxter Holmes reporting. Unsurfacing this. It is Rob Palenka in front of Dwayne The Rock Johnson talking to some team. I don't know which team he was talking to. It might have been the Lakers. I don't know for sure. It was the Los Angeles Lakers, yes. Rob Palenka describing a story involving his former client, Kobe Bryant. Dez, have you seen the movie The Dark Knight? I have. Oh, man. Great movie. I would say it's one of the best superhero movies of all time. Uh, Intern, Nick, far, but... Intern Nick, have you seen The Dark Knight? Yeah, uh, that actually came out on my birthday. So, wow, yeah. that's exciting, right? Mm -hmm. Best Co Kobe, Kobe Bryant yes. was a fan of this movie, too. So much so, and this is exactly what Rob Palenka said, verbatim. There was a time Kobe, who I was working with for 18 years, was going back to play in Madison Square Garden, and he had just seen The Dark Knight. Obviously, you guys saw that movie, and he's like, hey, hook me up with dinner with Heath Ledger, because he got so locked into that role I want to know how he mentally got there. So we had dinner with Heath, and he talked about how he locks him for a role, and then Kobe used some of that in his game against the Knicks. Wow. 
what a great story about Kobe, how locked in he can get, and, you know, getting into Mamba mode. That's a great story from Rob Blinka. Only problem, Heath Ledger died six months before The Dark Knight was ever released. So Rob Palenka, not looking great in recent weeks. Not looking great But that story. I mean, how crazy do you have to be to make up a story about Kobe Bryant meeting a dead person? How, how crazy do you have to be? I mean, it's so easy to check the facts here on this. I mean, it's so right out in the open lying. What are we doing here? Have yeah. you have you ever had a friend that was the liar of your group? Brian Williams. They just li- <laughs> one of my one of my best buddies. <laughs> they just B-dubs. they just they just lied a lie. Like they, yeah. sometimes they almost lie to see if they can top the lie they told five minutes ago. And like your friends just sort of they know he's lying, but they just tolerate it because he's kind of a good guy. But he just lies all the time. Yeah, that's what Rob Polinka feels like to me. He feels like that guy that just lies about the smallest stuff all the time. So that's one story. Then you have this story involving one of the best forwards for the Washington Capitals, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who was featured, I'll say, in a Twitter video that had the Stanley Cup champion sitting near a table that clearly has white lines of powder, two white lines of powder right next to a rolled-up bill. Now, I don't think I think it would be too reckless for me to suggest that that is cocaine. To say that on the radio, I don't know for sure what that white powder is, but it doesn't seem good. The video was then deleted, which then led to the Capitals responding saying that they were gathering facts and the Kuznetsov put out a statement saying that he was in a friend's room, and after seeing the substances in women he didn't know, he left. This happened, apparently, in Las Vegas right after the Capitals won the Stanley Cup in Vegas in Game 5. That was last year. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Evgeny Kuznetsov, he's in trouble now. Is he, though? In the video, this isn't like the Miami, Miami Dolphins coach, who was clearly... I mean, he actually snorted white substances on video. Like, we, it's different than that. Kuznetsov, I don't think it's a punishment to be sitting around cocaine. It's not a punishment there, especially a year removed. There's no video of him actually uh, consuming the substance. It's not illegal to sit beside cocaine, but it's not a good look. It's not a good look it's at all. It's not a good but look. here's my thing. The Washington Capitals are investigating this. For what? What, what, what are you doing? Uh, I'm going to ask him, Kenny Kuznetsov, what did you do? Hey, and ask your buddies, hey, what was happening there? Did Kuznetsov see if any of his friends snitch? Is that what we're doing here? <laughs> what did you also, do for Stanley Cup celebration? Also, why, why do the Washington Capitals care about this? I get there's a public face you have to put. Is it just that? I don't want, this, is, this might be a hot take, and it's going to sound like I'm pro-cocaine, but I'm not. This is going to sound like I'm pro-drugs, oh, no. but I'm not. Sports teams, I don't want sports. NBA, NHL, NFL, I do not want them testing for recreational drugs. I don't. Not marijuana, not not cocaine, none of that. Why would you? Why, why would you test for that? These are not performance-enhancing drugs. Leave that to law enforcement. Let law enforcement, if he gets busted with weed or with, or as Stephen A. Smith would say, the weed. If he gets busted with that or gets busted with coke, that that's something, right? Then you can punish him from there. But 
them doing their own investigating, the leagues testing for recreational drugs? Why? Like, what are we doing here? If it's not a performance enhancer, why should the teams do that? I mean, there was a fighter. I think it was Tyson Fury, a big fight, who got who tested positive for cocaine that didn't allow him to fight. Why? Why are you testing for cocaine? Like, I get there's a public face you want to have, but let law enforcement deal with recreational drugs. Why, why, why are you doing this as a league? What, why is that your role? Stay in your lane. The, yes, the, the, the video, I hadn't seen the video yet. And when I saw this was on the schedule for today, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to wait until this segment begins and watch it for the first time just to kind of be like, oh, maybe that's not cocaine. Maybe that's something else. Maybe it's I mean, sugar. I dollar bills in that giveaway. That, the line, it, man, that's cocaine. <laughs> that is I mean, cocaine. it could be that something else you chop into a line and that, consume, which isn't also good. The number one bet is going to probably be cocaine. Okay, I, I would say that is the number one bet. Yeah, that's probably Booger cocaine. Sugar, the White Horse, yeah, man. the Preacher's Wife. Yeah. That's, what else do we got? Uh, Gutter glitter. <laughs> yeah, man. Nasal basil. It's, that's that's that, coke. That's, that, that's what that is. I know what that that's cocaine. You know what that is from oh, movies yeah, from and past experience. That's, yeah. that's Johnson knows what that yeah, is. I just yeah. Oh, well, put that on the ESPN ticker. Desmond Johnson, bottom <laughs> of the screen. Knows 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 cocaine when he sees it. Quote. That's cocaine right there. Okay. <laughs> uh, so no, I, I don't want I don't want sports teams getting involved in this. I don't think they should. There's another basketball story that I absolutely love, but people, again, can't recognize a wrestling character when they see one. And Draymond Green, who I just so happen to love, I just love the guy. Uh, LeBron James, he welcomed his son, Bronny, on Instagram today. Bronny is 14 years old. He's in a picture playing basketball, and his first Instagram post is, Hey, IG, which led to, Carmelo Anthony responding, yes, sir, my boy. Keep it 100. Draymond Green, here's the way he supported him. I'm at your bleeping neck this summer, G. All gas. Yo. That's what I'm talking about. He deserves the red hot take air horn. Draymond Green. (laughs) This is how it should have happened again. Maybe even John Cena's music. I'm at your bleeping neck this summer, G. All gas. Draymond's music! What is Draymond doing to that 14 year old boy? Draymond Green! Coming at your bleeping neck this summer, G! What does that even mean? Like, what is he talking about? Are they gonna play. Is he a grown man gonna play one on one basketball all summer with a 14 year old Ronnie James? Or. What is he talking about? Uno? <laughs> I don't get it. I, I don't know. I mean, Ronnie is 14 years old. It's 14. But Draymond! Draymond's letting them know young. <laughs> Listen, when you come in the league, you're going to lose like like your dad did two different times to me in the finals. <laughs> Draymond's going to be like 35. You are listening <laughs> to WSGS Winston Tale and WCOG Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, and WMFR High Point. Those signals making up the triads. Sports up. I'm not a doer or a thinker. I'm more of a talker. You're on the drive with Josh Graham, the, the Sports, Sports Hub, Hub at AM 600, AM 920. Trips to the far side. Oh, and they just launch it deep here. Newton runs to his right. Looking, looking. Throws it deep downfield. Into the end zone. Tipped up. And caught! It's caught! Darvin Adams off the deflection! Touchdown, Auburn! That is the voice 
of Rod Bramblett, who passed away this weekend, tragically in a car accident, him and his wife passing away, longtime voice of the Auburn Tigers, and somebody I believe to be one of the best college football play-by-play men in the country. He's been recognized in the triad a handful of times by the National Sports Media Association as the state of Alabama's broadcaster of the year. He passed away this weekend. Bill Buckner, dead at 69 years old, dealing with dementia. Bart Starr in his 80s, one of the more underappreciated players, even though he was on one of the best football teams ever dead as well on Sunday so it really has been a rough few days in terms of sports legends passing away but I do have a positive note on Rod Bramblett's passing the most tragic thing to learn when we saw the news headline very late Saturday night is the fact that it was him and his wife who passed away and they have two children one that's at Auburn and another that's in high school GoFundMe has been a thing for, what, five, six years or so, allows for a way to raise money and to fundraise at a grassroots level. The news, according to the Alabama, the Alabama newspaper down there um, of record, apparently they have raised on GoFundMe the last two days close to $100,000 for this family to deal with life expenses moving forward. They started, their goal was 25000 and that was raised almost immediately. And then they extended the 50000 and now they're close to 100000 But here's what makes the story even neater and speaks to the effect a play-by-play announcer can have on his listeners, his or her listeners. Many fans, it was noticed on the GoFundMe app, many fans donated exactly $109, $109. And the reason why Rod Brandblit $109 might be significant is because of maybe the most noteworthy call he's ever had. And that is from the kick six football game that had Chris Davis have the return to beat Alabama. This call here. Chris Davis is going to drop back into the end zone in single safety. Well, I guess if this thing comes up short, he can field it and run it out. All right, here we go. 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl in the most unbelievable fashion you will ever see. I cannot believe it. 34-28. You can just hear the excitement in the booth. And somebody actually posted a video from the broadcast booth. And Rob Bramblett is keeping his eyes locked on the field and giving us that play-by-play call 
as he's almost being assaulted by his color analyst, grabbing him, hugging him, the spotter, and everyone in the booth just losing their minds, and he's just locked focus. It's almost like God gave him the right words to say there. As it's You're lucky in sports to have a moment like that. It's one of the best moments in college football. The call exceeded the moment somehow, which is one of the best moments there is. I mean, Rob Bramblett is going to forever be a part of college football because of the words he spoke that night in 2013. I think it's the greatest college football call ever. If, if you care to throw something else at me, that's fine. I'm willing to listen. 336-777-1600. Or you could tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad. That's not even my favorite Rod Bramblett call. See, I never got a chance to meet Rod, but just being a student of the game of broadcasting, I used to do a lot of play-by-play. I'd find myself on road trips. I, I listen to Sirius when I'm on the road driving around. And every single time I saw that Auburn was playing, I'd make sure to look specifically for the Auburn radio broadcast. So there's been a handful of times I've listened to Rod, probably a couple dozen um, times I've listened to Rod do play-by-play. And it's just an iconic voice for an iconic college sports team. This call earlier in the year, in 2013, Alabama, they went to the national championship game. It was the last year of the BCS. Florida State, Kelvin Benjamin had the touchdown with less than 20 seconds left to go to beat Auburn. There was a game against Georgia, and the reason why I love this call here, it's it's a, a hopeless situation. You're trailing, it's fourth in a million, and you can hear it in Rod's voice. You can hear how hopeless it is at the start of the play, and then obviously things took a turn pretty quickly. All right, here we go, fourth and 18 for the Tigers. Here's your ball game, Nick Marshall. Stands in, steps up, got to throw down field, just a home run ball, and uh, it is tipped off, and Lewis caught it on the deflection, Lewis is going to score, Lewis is going to score, Lewis is going to score, touchdown Auburn, touchdown Auburn, a miracle at Jordan Hare, a miracle at Jordan Hare, 73 yards, and the Tigers, with 25 seconds to go, lead 43 to 38. <laughs> you could just hear him, ah, it's fourth and 18, ah, it's just going to shoot it deep it's just uh it's a prayer he's throwing it out there oh my god he got the ball ah, he got the ball oh he's got to score uh, and then he throws i mean again this speaks to how great of a broadcaster he is he he has you don't plan to say it's a miracle at jordan Hare, but he says that and that's what just sticks in your brain and i'm not even an auburn fan that just sticks with you because that's great sports casting that's what that is that call gave me chills. Oh, I mean, it like, was. As soon as his voice goes up I mean, when he catches it, like, the you play, just can't you help can it. describe it. It's two safeties running into each other. The ball bounces up and right into the hands. It's crazy. Into the hands of Lewis for a touchdown. Clayton writes in a good local one. The App State versus Michigan blocked field goal. See, David Jackson's a great friend of mine. He's no longer the voice of the Mountaineers. Adam Witten does a great job right here on the Sports Hub broadcasting App State football and um, App State athletics. But David Jackson at the time, it was a cool thing listening to David because his dad worked on the sidelines. So when he went down to sideline reports, he'd be like, hey, dad, hey, hey, what do you got down there, dad? Eh, and it was pretty neat. I like that. David Jackson, this call here, Clayton writes him with the uh, App State Michigan block field goal. I think this is probably the best local example you can find in terms of memorable 
play-by-play calls. It's one of the best wins our state has seen. Appalachian State upsetting Michigan in the big house in 2007. Here was the call of the final play, the blocked field goal. 37-yard field goal. This is it. This is it right here. Gensel ready. The snap's good. The whole kick. The kick is good. Oh! The Mountaineers are going to try to take it's it back to the big house. Gensel the big house. 20, 15. Wow! The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines. The Mountaineers of Appalachian State have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines in the big house. Okay. Okay. It's a memorable call. It really is. But the color analyst. Yeah, who's the color guy? I don't know. I want to play this call one more time, yeah. and I want you to tell me what words he was saying. In terms of just broadcasting value, this call is garbage. And if I'm David Jackson, again, you pray, like Rod Bramblett, you pray that you have moments like the kick six, that you have a moment like the miracle at Jordan Hare against Georgia. David Jackson was given this as a play-by-play broadcaster, and his color analyst just beat him over the head with a bully club. 37-yard field goal. This is it. This is it right here. Gensel ready. The snap's good. The whole kick. Oh! The kick is good. Oh! The Mountaineers are going to try to take it's it. Gensel. What is this? Gensel the big house. 20. What? 15. Wow! The Mountaineers have just beaten the Michigan Wolverines. Wait that a is a professional Wait. broadcaster. What was this part right here? He just, he just it wasn't even like a word. What? It's just him. Fifteen. He did the initial scream, but he felt like again polished broadcaster. I didn't. I, I got to add another one of these for good measure. Just just because if people are wondering what's happening, I'm your eyes and ears. This is a good. This is a good way to analyze what I'm seeing in front of me. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> so that's good. This one might qualify. Keith Jackson, his call of the Vince Young touchdown. This this is on television now. Like you have the visual, and Keith Jackson utilizes it. I love when broadcasters just lay out. You're on TV. People can see it. I'm a captionist. I'm just going to use as few words as possible here. Keith Jackson on the Vince Young touchdown of the 2006 Rose Bowl, I think, sticks out too. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince. Young scores. Short. Sweet. Exactly what you're looking for. But Rod Bramblett, just tragic news. And you think about the kids. You do. One that, again, is in college at Auburn. The other that's in high school. Lost both their parents on Saturday night. And I I do feel like the $100,000 that are being raised and all of that, and it's probably going to exceed that knowing SEC fans and how passionate they are about their sports teams, but even more so. You'd be lucky to have a moment that people remember. You'd be lucky to have your voice ingrained in the sports culture, and that's what I think is going to happen with Rob Bramblett's call of that kick six. I think that play is always going to be documented with his call 
and it's going to be remembered forevermore. I really feel that way. And it, I, I'm at least satisfied with that. And you've seen that the last few days with people talking about Rod Bramble, in addition to the other legends who have passed, Bill Buckner and Bart Starr of the NFL. We've got Let's Get Crazy to do. We usually do this on Monday, but with the holiday we were off, hot sports takes only. That's all we're welcome here. No judgment zone for radio. That's what this is. Hot sports takes. We're going to deliver them, and we're welcoming uh, you to tell us what hot take you have from over the weekend, something that's just been festering inside you. You've been dying to get it out. 336-777-1600, the phone number. And you could even tweet some in at Sports Hub Triad. We get crazy next on The Drive. What are you guys talking about? Talk, talk. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham, the The Sports Sports Hub, at AM 600, AM 920. afternoon host David Glenn now joins us. I always love talking college basketball with DG. I've often said it. I don't think there's another radio station in the country that covers as much college basketball around the year. It doesn't matter what month it is than what we do here on the Sports Hub. David Glenn, noon to three. And of course, us here, three to seven. Last night, we learned the news that Marquise Bolden is going to pursue a professional career rather than return to Duke. And Javin Delorier, it looks like, is going to be coming back. So, obviously, anytime we talk about Duke, you have to talk about North Carolina, too, which has had an interesting regular season and a very good one on the recruiting trail for Roy Williams. When you look at how these rosters are comprised currently, DG, it looks like the dust has settled in terms of who is going to leave and who might return, which roster do you like better? Josh, always good to be with you again. I'd put them at 1A Duke and 1B Carolina, and it feels like, you know, I've been at this for over 30 years covering the ACC. It feels like most years we have both of them somewhere on that top tier, and I don't think that theme is going to end next season. Uh, when Trey Jones decided to stay at Duke for his sophomore year, you know, there's a guy who's going to play 35 minutes a game at point guard. Uh, I thought that was huge for the Blue Devils. I follow recruiting enough to know about their amazing four-man freshman class. They're going to play a lot. So I think Carolina is also going to be good. I just think the Tar Heels have a little less talent, uh, a few more questions, than what Mike Krzyzewski has now with, remember, DeLaurier coming back, Jack White is back, Alex O'Connell is back, Trey Jones is back, and you're mixing them and some other returnees with the four, you know, four-star and five-star freshmen, uh, whereas Carolina has a lot of new faces, and even most of their best players are going to take a little while just to get to know each other. One of Coach K's best traits as a coach is that he doesn't really adapt personnel to a system. Instead, it's vice versa. A given year, given the personnel, might uh, lead to a different style than what we've seen in previous years with Duke. We've seen that time and time again. And he's loosened up some of his other past philosophies, too, Coach K has, including always being a man-to-man guy a few yep. years ago when the team hasn't 
didn't play well in man-to-man, we saw more zone, including the team with Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter that nearly went to the Final Four, if not for Grayson Allen's shot, lipping out. One thing he hasn't really bent on, though, is having a seven or an eight-man rotation. And when you look at what Duke has right now, if the starting five is some combination of Trey Jones, Alex O'Connell, or Joey Baker as the shooting guard, Wendell Moore or Cassius Stanley at the three, Matthew Hurt or Javin Delorier at the four, Vernon Carey at the five, with Jack White being a potential bench guy who could come in and contribute too with experience, and maybe even a Jordan Goldwire since there isn't another point guard. That's ten guys. Do you think yeah. this is the year that we see a, uh, a nine-man rotation or, heck, maybe even a ten-man rotation for Duke? I think by the time we get to crunch time, which you know Coach K is going to view February as the build-up to the ACC tournament, et cetera, I think the answer to your question is yes earlier in the season because we just listed 10 guys that have a decent chance of playing. Uh, but by February, I'd be willing to bet that even if some of those guys, you know, maybe Jordan Goldwire only gets five minutes off the bench behind Trey Jones. Does that count as a true rotation player? Maybe Javin Delaurier gets, you know, 12 minutes behind uh, Vernon Carey, the freshman big man. Is that enough to count as a rotation player? And on the wing, you mentioned four guys, right? Two freshmen, Wendell Moore and Cassius Stanley. Two returnees, Alex O'Connell and Joey Baker. You know, even if everybody stays healthy, if one of those four doesn't produce, the way Coach K usually does it, that guy's not playing much come February or March. So we'll see. He certainly has the personnel to go 10 deep if he wants to, but it feels like nine times out of 10. By the time February is here, he's down to his favorite seven guys, you know, with one or two more that he sprinkles in, you know, five to 12 minutes a game. That's kind of become his way. Jim Beheim is a guy who even uses a shorter rotation than that. But this does give him the option of having a deeper rotation because blending that freshman class with those returnees, you know, does get him to 10 deep legitimately in guys that either have played significantly in the past in most cases or those four freshmen that uh, I've seen them all, and especially Vernon Carey and Matthew Hurt. You know, there's no doubt that those guys are going to play a lot right away. For, for the first time in a while, DG, I think North Carolina and Duke, they're going to look more alike than different. When you have two teams that experience significant roster turnover, both teams, it looks like, are going to have four different starters in the starting five. And both teams, they're likely going to run their offenses through their point guards. UNC with Cole Anthony, Duke with Trey Jones, who's back, the first returning Duke point guard since Quinn Cook. Both teams are deep and I think, I mean, it's a strange occurrence that these two teams look alike. What do you find to be the more strange occurrence from what we've seen, how these rosters being built? Roy seemingly out-recruiting Mike Krzyzewski when you consider that they're getting Cole Anthony, the best recruit that either team has brought in, in addition to the two grad transfers and Armando Bacot, who's a five-star player. Duke also, in addition to uh, having these great four players come in as freshmen, it seems like they have more experience than North Carolina has. Yes, the two grad transfers coming in, they older players, but they've never played at this level like Jack White, Javin Delorier, and uh, and uh, Alex O'Connell have. What do you find to be the strangest occurrence of the bunch when you look at how these rosters are put together and uh, the recruiting offseason that both Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams have enjoyed? Yeah, one contrast is going to be Cole Anthony, the incoming point guard for the Tar Heels, can do it all. 
I mean, son of Greg Anthony, Oak Hill Academy, he can drive, he can score, he can defend. Uh, that guy can take over in a big way, maybe even to a bigger degree than a Cody White can take over this past season because at least he had, you know, Cam Johnson as an even more prolific scorer. He had Luke May coming off of his All-American season as a junior, whereas Cole Anthony's going to step into a situation where, as you mentioned, Christian Keeling and Justin Pierce are transfers, so they're seniors, but they're new to the Tar Heels. Garrison Brooks and Brandon Robinson are returning upperclassmen, but it's not like they were main men last year. So Cole Anthony might be the guy for the Tar Heels right away, whereas Trey Jones much prefers to be the distributor, you know, the orchestrator, the, the floor leader, the assist man. So that'll be one contrast. And it remains to be seen, you know, how that recruiting balance shakes out because when it comes to high school uh, signees, you know, Coach K got four of the top 30 or so high school players in America, whereas Roy Williams really has Cole Anthony at the point guard, Armando Baycott in the post. Maybe Anthony Harris plays a lot, uh, the kid from Virginia on the wing. Uh, so freshman, advantage Duke, total class, it's much closer because of the incoming transfers. But I'm, I'm watching point guard in terms of where these stories go because uh, what Roy Williams has found in Cole Anthony completely changes the course of the Tar Heel season. Uh, just as Mike Krzyzewski getting the news that Trey Jones was staying for his sophomore year, in a different way, it completely changes the outlook for the Blue Devils. I think the bottom line and the good news for us across North Carolina is they're probably going to be two of the best, if not the two best teams in the ACC. And as usual, both the Devils and the Heels will have the, tar- uh, will have the state of North Carolina in all of the national college basketball headlines as well, because you're not going to see too many preseason top tens without seeing both the Tar Heels and the Blue Devils listed there. That See, that's where I wanted to head next. David Glenn with us here, our early afternoon host on Twitter, at David Glenn Show. Could you see as many as four ACC teams in the preseason top ten if we accept the fact that most teams, I don't care how much you lose. North Carolina, they were a preseason top ten team after they won the national title in 2009, and that team didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. Roy's only team that didn't make it to the NCAA tournament. I know Virginia lost three guys, but they're bringing uh, three starters. But they're bringing two starters back. They won the national title. Do you believe when the preseason poll comes out there will be four ACC teams in the preseason top ten? I'll say maybe because Duke and Carolina will be there. But with that NCAA withdrawal deadline looming tomorrow, I believe it is, Yes. Uh, two, two teams that have a chance to be preseason top ten, the last I saw, they hadn't gotten word yet from their star players. And Jordan Wara is an all-ACC guy for Louisville. I think Louisville can be preseason top ten if he chooses to stay especially. And I haven't seen the ultimate answer from Mamadi Diakite of Virginia either. No. So both of those guys have been working out for NBA teams. If Diakite stays at UVA, and they think he will, but again, I haven't heard it out of his mouth, if War stays at Louisville, then you could have Duke and Carolina and Louisville and UVA all in the top ten. I think the adjustment period for the Cavaliers is going to be even more dramatic than what you just described there. Uh, with, I mean, Ty Jerome and Kyle Guy and DeAndre Hunter made a lot of important defensive stops for the Cavs and scored a lot of big buckets for the Cavs. 
So I could see them maybe dropping out of the preseason top ten, even if those guys stay. But or, I mean, if, even if the Akite stays. But the good news, Josh, is that let's say only three of those four are preseason top ten or ultimately top ten. Notre Dame has a chance to really take a leap up from last year. Syracuse has a chance to be good. Florida State should be good again. NC State should be good again, uh, you know, up from its NIT performance of this past year. So that it's going to be a top-heavy and strong ACC, but there may be another season where we have eight or nine teams that we're talking about as legitimate candidates, you know, to end up in the national top 25. And NC State got the news last week that Markel Johnson's going to be returning too, so that certainly helps the Wolfpack as well. College baseball this weekend, two North Carolina sites. You have in Chapel Hill two North Carolina teams there where UNC Wilmington is in the same bracket as the Tar Heels in Chapel Hill. In Greenville, my old stopping grounds, not one, not two, but three North Carolina teams. You got NC State and you got Campbell who are going to be there. Intern Nick is here representing NC State. He just threw up the wolf pack uh, with his fingers here. <laughs> Very excited about that. The Greenville, that's the party to be at this weekend, yes? Oh, no doubt about it because the wolf pack and ECU have a Ooh. bitter rivalry, and I mean fan-to-fan and sometimes even baseball program-to-baseball program. Because you remember last year they had the game that was scheduled but never played. Uh, and whereas most, you know, we mentioned six teams from North Carolina, you know, they almost all play each other, but the Wolfpack and the Pirates did not play each other. Mm-hmm. And that's a sensitive matter, as you know from your old stomping grounds. You know, ECU saying that uh, the big ACC team is afraid of them, you know, in the same year that the Pirates went, for example, to Chapel Hill and beat the Tar Heels head to head. So that's going to be bitter. It's going to be interesting. Obviously, they don't play each other on Friday, but depending on the results of Friday's games, you could have a Saturday matchup between the Wolfpack, who had such a good season they thought they were going to be a regional host, and ECU, which had such a good season that it's been in the national top ten of the polls most of the year. So that would be a whopper. Cliff Godwin has a great program at ECU. Elliot Aben has a great program at NC State. There's some bad blood from last year. There's two talented baseball teams to me that's about as good as it gets anywhere in the country when it comes to the one seed and the two seed playing on the same field ecu was dominant in the regular season winning the american athletic conference regular season title but flamed out in the american tournament so they don't get a national seed which is a top eight seed they're the number 10 national seed nc state just missing out too as you mentioned nc state will face campbell nc state has a shortstop who's projected to be a first-round draft pick. Campbell also has a player who's projected to be in the first round, taken in the first round as well. So there's a lot of fun coming up in Greenville. But speaking of baseball and fun coming up this week, you're going to be heading to Winston-Salem and BB&T Ballpark on Friday night. I don't know if Darren Vott's going to be accompanying you, but he said there's a chance of that. We're looking forward to you as a part of our uh, – we had a winner for our March Madness challenge a virginia fan who picked virginia to win it all and won out as a result going to be hanging out with us me and dg friday night at bbnt ballpark H- how excited are you for this have you been to bbnt ballpark before i have been there i'm looking forward to come back coming back i always love hanging out with you of course you and i have been good friends for a long time now yep i look forward to meeting our winner 
And I'll tell you this, I'm staying the night, man. I'm Woo! not coming out all the way out there to party like a rock star just to have to drive 90 <laughs> minutes back. It's such a big night that my wife, Maria, has one of her best friends in town this weekend. And whereas, you know, sometimes the girls like to let the guys hang around, you know, Friday night is kind of the girls' night. So why shouldn't we have a boys' night in Winston-Salem watching good baseball and hanging out with uh, the winner of your show? So I'm looking forward to it. I'm spending the night. Uh, we hope your listeners will say hi to us out at the ballpark. And who knows, maybe we'll find a place to make some trouble after the game. Heck yeah. That's what I like to hear. David Glenn on Twitter at David Glenn Show. Appreciate the visit. We'll see you later in the week, okay? Always fun, Josh. Take care, bud. You got it. That's David Glenn on Twitter. Again, at David Glenn Show, noon to three right here on the Sports Hub. See, you got post-show responsibilities, Des, so I don't know if you'll be able to attend the baseball game, but maybe post-baseball game debauchery? Maybe. I, I mean, you guys keep hyping this up like yeah. it's something I'm not sure if I want to miss it or not. So Post-baseball you know. game debauchery, you might be able to come, on, come and join us. When's the first pitch? 7? 7.05? Yeah. I mean, eh, might be able to. I don't know. We might be able to do something. Might be able to do something. But no, but maybe after the game. That's what I'm talking about. Some of that Carolina plan... Uh, Hot dogs and hamburger action y'all gonna have going on? Heck no, we're gonna be hanging out in the Flow Club, my man. Ooh, okay. I have to talk to Joe Wild here, see what's up. Pull some strings. Rolling. That's right. <laughs> what do you got in ticket to the house today? So, in honor of Memorial Day yesterday being one of the biggest cookout days of the calendar, I've got a top ten list from the Big Lead. Ooh, top ooh, ten ooh. cookout foods ranked. I got my top ten list tomorrow. You're doing a top ten <laughs> list here on the show. Oh, we're gonna destroy this list because there's some things on here I think both of us are gonna be oh, highly upset about. Oh snap! We're gonna get in the fist fight next. <laughs>